Hallelujah. I've been waiting for months to have the liberty to preach this to you. So I want to preach to you today about two nations that I'm a part of and you're a part of. I want to talk to you about the loss of the moral compass of America, which I love, and the kingdom of God, which I love far more. The nation that I belong to besides America is a nation that you are a part of, a nation of priests and of kings. That simply means that nobody has to live without relationship with God, availability to his person and his presence, and nobody has to live like someone that has been conquered. It is a kingdom, a nation of born-again people. We are born of the seed of God himself, not of some religious form, not of some religious prayer, we are born of a seed that has been implanted so deep that it causes transformation in our life. We are born again. And we are born of God's Spirit. And we, in this nation, are called to be followers of one Jesus Christ, the example of God's Son. And that simply means that we are to be disciples, and that means someone that is a pupil, someone that has learned, someone who has been practicing, someone that has heard and is a doer of Jesus' works, one who is fortified by Jesus' presence to duplicate his life. Now, that's who we are. That's who you are. Don't have to worry about your purpose. Well, I don't know what God wants me to do. Be like Jesus. Quit making it hard. Let's make it real simple. Be like Jesus. And when you're like Jesus, you'll run into everything else God wants you to do. But you seek those things that God has in store for you without following Jesus as the first and foremost priority, you're going to miss purpose. You say, oh, that's so hard. No, it's not. It's just the Bible. And I, I, you know, the, the other day somebody would say, well, don't you think that's hard? It's not hard to tell you if you aren't saved, you're going to hell. I just don't understand the hardness of that. Now, people say, well, you got to soften it up. You know, millennials and do it. Well, you know, Jesus, I don't think he'd preach in America. I don't know if he'd preach around the world. Because he'd just say, I came, your sin remains and you're going to hell, and you can't go where I'm going unless you repent. All the men in the land, they go, and they'd be pushing buttons, their phones burn up, and the old people be saying, well, he doesn't really mean it. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. Jesus said this, if you are my disciples, if you continue in my word, and as you continue in the word that you have, guess what? then you're going to find the truth, and that truth is going to set you free. Then he says this, if you're my disciples, you will love one another. You cannot live in the Word without loving the body of Christ. 
without loving your brother at face value. Not to love them if they become like you. Come on, God's got his hands full with you. He doesn't need any more of you. He got one of you. He's changed the pattern after that. Yeah, so he's, he's got a new run coming. And so we got to realize we have to be doers, 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 doers of the word. And then we have to love the brethren. In other words, we got to be doers of our love for other people. And then it, it says this, people's whose minds have been renewed. That's you and I. That's why we think differently. Our minds are renewed. We now live by a set and a set of rules that calls us to serve God, his will, as well as fulfilling his purpose, discipleship in Christ. Now, the word moral compass. As soon as I say moral compass, everybody thinks, well, we aren't going to smoke, we aren't going to drink. We Listen, those types of sins are so low on the totem pole that the devil could get delivered of that stuff. You, now, I'm not kidding you. We, look, Jesus is after the root of why we do what we do. This surface stuff of fornication, cussing, and drinking and all that. Look, that's, that's the reason you're ruled by that is because you simply don't have any roots deep enough to change your fruit. I'm not being mean, but I'm just telling you what we call sin and what we are so dogmatic about should never be an issue in the body of Christ. Nobody ever had to tell me Quit running around on your wife. I didn't even have to read the Bible. I knew that that was wrong. Hello, somebody. I knew that drinking was wrong. I knew that cussing was wrong. I don't know that I've cussed except one time when I said D-A-M when I was in a fit of anger and was trying to just say something. In order to shut her up, I just stunned her. And then I used the word to show you that everybody wants to use that type of language and it should never be named among the brethren. It shocked you that I used it. It shocks God that you use it. I'm not trying to be critical. I'm telling you the two times that I've cussed. Nobody had to tell me cussing. Nobody, nobody, nobody. Why? Because it's not my nature. If you're a dog, you use parents. If you're a cat, you use If you're a Christian, you use the language of God. If you're a son, you use the language of the world. And you're a Christian. is a manifestation of your System being polluted, you should be reaching out to. Amen. That's it. Pull your roots and keep them in Christ. Amen. That's it. That might mean you have to quit. Harry Harry is making you cuss. You're running around with Harry Harry. If 
you're watching movies, find yourself using or that type of language coming up. Well, that old one, demon possessed. Now, and you know I'm just being facetious. The word moral means. Where is a moral compass in America? The name of priests and kings. The word it means right-mindedness. Right-mindedness. All immorality comes from thoughts. Mind you clean your mind from what's coming in. Guess what? That stuff will just not happen. And then the word moral means to respect. It means to be decent. Moral means to be truthful. Moral means to be law-abiding as a representative of the nation you're a part of. Pretty cool. And then it means to be pure, chaste. It means to be blameless. It means to be sinless. It means to lie or to uh, reply a position of conduct. It means morals morals the respect for other people loving your neighbor and every transgression and a loveless bank in our lives every criticism is found in a loveless hole in our life. You might not like people because of the color of their skin, their hair, because they're rich, they're poor. I don't, I don't know why people don't like people. They're, they're, you know why they don't love people. But I'm just telling you that it's your nature to love people. And so we're talking about where is the moral compass? Because in the body of Christ today, there is a reformation and redefining of God. On Facebook, it had this statement. The Bible is too small to contain such a great God. Now, you think, you think all that, hey, hallelujah. God is so big. No, now you have opened the borders of lawlessness. Because God cannot be defined Therefore, they get to redefine him to their agenda. Relevancy. Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and forever. Why? Because so is man and so is sin. They don't change, and relevancy has nothing to do with how we live. Love is relevant for today. Yeah, come, come on, somebody. Hallelujah. And so I want to talk about the relevance of the foundation of the scripture, but I want to talk to you about the moral compass and what it is. Why doesn't the compass work? Anybody in here ever been a sailor? What do you need to reach your destiny when you're traveling across 3,000 miles 
of ocean with no road signs. A compass. You're kidding me. How can we travel through a world filled with snares of the devils and pitfalls and things that look like they're God and things that are like lights to their self that act like God and sound like God? How can we ever make it through this world without a moral compass? You can't. You can't. You have to have a moral compass. Now, here's what a compass is. A compass is an instrument used for navigation and orientation that shows directions relative to the geographical direction or the points that you want to reach. It means that it's usually a diagram that is called a compass. It shows the directions north, south, east, and west and on the compass face as abbreviated with just single initials. Now, in this compass, it is one of the four greatest inventions of the world. It was invented and by a mag discovery of magnetic force that was first invented as a device of div divination. It was used to control people. As early as the Chinese Han, Han destiny or dynasty, and in the later it was adapted or adopted for navigation by the Song dynasty, Chinese during the 11th century, and now it has been used to change the whole face of the known world. Now, here's what happens when people don't have a moral compass. Nature is a scary place, and so is life. There are wolves. There are snows, trees, agendas, swamps that will swallow a man whole, all lying just outside of the concrete in caves that us nerds have built and we call cities. I'm just telling you what it said. I, I didn't write it. Some people get kicks out of shrinking or shirking their laptops and jumping over into the wilderness so that they can be or have an experience like Crocodile Dundee. Half of those people end up airlifted out, half of them. 50% of people that go mountain climbing and hiking end up having to be rescued. Now, there's something wrong with that number, don't you think? And then it says these people are airlifted out of their forest nightmare after having made just one wrong turn. One of the lost hikers collected here experienced outdoors types who simply made one wrong move and others probably had no business even making a move at all. Listen to this one. Nicholas 
and Jack, two teens from Southern California, were lost for days in Falls Canyon, a spot sitting on a mountain of a vertical wall that overlooks Los Angeles. It overlooks Los Angeles. Do you, you can see Los Angeles from the wall that these teens went to. And it says it stands adjacent to at least one shopping mall. In other words, it's butted up against the shopping mall parking lot. Phil said, never get lost. The pair ended up calling 911, but their phone battery died before the call's location could be traced. They were trapped in a canyon with vegetation so thick that they couldn't even see that they were only 500 feet, not yards, less than a football field. No, no, that's wrong, isn't it? Three, three, yeah, you're wrong. Just a little over a football field from society, Nerdville, that they had just left. 500 feet from the road. The two teens were rescued after being reported missing for several days. They were described as badly dehydrated, nearly incoherent when found, and Jack was drifting in and out of consciousness. When she was found, she asked her rescuers, what year is it? She was filthy from head to toe. Her lips were black with dirt. Her eyes were barely open. She had no shoes. She said, said Jim Moss, I was in the canyon and her mouth was so full of dirt that the rescuers were afraid to give her water lest she would choke to death on her way to the parking lot, 500 feet. In 2012, the year before the teens went missing, there were over 560 searches and rescue efforts carried out around a 500-foot square of a Los Angeles mall. 560 people had to be rescued because they did not have enough sense not to get off the parking lot. Why? No compass. No compass. Authorities suggest that the proximity to skyscrapers and shopping malls lure many uh, Los Angeles area hikers into a false sense of security. Wow. Two dogs, I mean two hikers and three dogs, had to be airlifted from the Sunset Peak area below Mount Baldy, less than 10 miles from the nearest Starbucks. After getting lost at sunset, the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department, San, San Demias, search and rescue team found them in the early morning hours. 
66-year-old woman dies two miles from the Appalachian Trail. Year 2013, a 66-year-old retired nurse, Geraldine, disappeared in the Maine woods. And after two years of false starts and ridiculous leads that included everything from psychics to supposed Bigfoot sightings, a logging camp surveyor finally found her body zipped into her sleeping bag inside her tent with her journal. She was only two miles from the trail that she had been following for over 800 miles. The Appalachian Trail is a thousand mile hike. She'd been following it for over 800 miles. And yet, she got disoriented by something. And she lost her sense of direction. And then it says that her husband would call and check on her and her friend that found her way back to the trail but could not tell you where her friend was because she had no compass or she could have marked the spot. It says that her husband would bring supplies, but after she was missing for a short time and they insisted on continuing, arguing uh, to leave that, oh, we're going to make it, it's going to be okay. And he said, don't do it, don't do it. They kept on going on. Even though they were also afraid of the dark, she got lost on the trail, survived for more than a month after going into that place. They found her journal. She was less than 200 miles from the end of her trail. No, no, she was less than 200 miles of the 1,000 miles. I'm reading all the paper. All right. And only 22 miles from the next place that she planned to meet her husband. When she left the trail to use the bathroom, Squatting will get you disoriented. I'm just telling you what the story says. And so she goes off to use the bathroom. Now, I know how, I know the woman didn't go 22 miles off saying, I, I got to use the bathroom. I'll be back in 18 hours. These are two women traveling together. And then her husband got concerned several times because he couldn't receive her messages due to the poor reception from the place that she went to the bathroom. Finally, a final heartbreaking journal entry asked one favor. When you find my body, will you please call my husband George and my daughter Carrie? It would be the greatest act of kindness for them to know that I am dead and where you found me. 
And how many years from now, I don't know. Why did these people get lost? Someone that had hiked this trail for over 800 miles steps off a trail to go to the bathroom and dies and is found two years later. How does a teenager leave a parking lot, crawl up on a wall, and get lost to the point that they almost die? How do people get lost when they think they're going the right way or know they're going the right way, are persuaded they're going the right way, and yet they're totally lost with no hope? Useless death out of people that have no compass. Anybody that travels, I'm, I just go deer hunting. I carry a compass. I went to hunting with a, a man in our church one time to Wisconsin. And then he went back because he thought it was so wonderful. He got out there, got lost, and he said, I was just about to begin to burn money in the late hours of the morning. I was freezing. I was getting ready to start burning my money because I knew that no matter where I'm at, money cannot rescue me. When I heard the search party calling my name, God had saved me. When we lose our moral compass, we walk any way that we want to walk. We think we know where we're going. We think the path is acceptable. We think it's going to get us there. Despite all of the warnings, don't get off the trail. Watch for bear piles. There are mountain lions up here. There are wolves up here. If you're climbing in the Colorado mountains, I don't care if it's in the summer, you get up so high, you can be lost in a snowstorm and die. But it's 80 degrees out, and you can die froze to death because you have no compass. Now, you might think, well, Pastor, those, those are weird stories, and who really cares? I care. Paul told the church in Acts the 20th chapter, he said, I preached to you for three years, and I told you every day with tears. Watch out. The wolves are going to rise up. Watch out. They're going to lead you astray. And every day he cried. Every day he wrought with the emotional desire to see people reach a heavenly goal. And it simply says in 1 Corinthians, the more that he besought people, the more that he loved them, the further from him their hearts got, and they hated him more and more because his moral compass did not take them to where they really wanted to go. When there is no moral compass in people's lives, Every man and every woman is in danger. Go to Genesis, the 20th chapter, 
and verse 11. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So a lack of this compass that I'm going to talk to you about is simply at the center of every fool that thinks his way is better. Um, and again, I'm not trying to be hard, but it, it would just, just not be right if I didn't tell you the truth. Because ultimately the truth, as you apply it, will set you free. And there is no promise aside from truth to have freedom. In Genesis, the 20th chapter, verse 11, and Abraham, uh, the king uh, Amalek, has desired his wife, Sarah, and he's wanting to take her. But God is so merciful to Abraham that he shuts up or takes a desire away from every man to have any sexual contact with a woman. And it says this, And Abraham said unto him, Because I thought, surely the fear of God is not in this place, and that they will slay me for my wife's sake. What is the moral compass of every man that is missing in America and in a big section of the body of Christ? The fear of the Lord. Without the fear of God, men will do, just like King Amalek was ready to do, despite what it costs or how it affects another to fulfill their own desire, purpose, and lust. But Abraham, not knowing that Amalek was a man that served God, he looks to him and said, God, what are you doing? And God says, you're but a dead man. What? You have stepped over the guidelines of the moral conscience and the moral compass that I've set for your life. But I, I, what, what did I do? You have started in progress the steps to take another man's wife. Why well, didn't no no this is his daughter his sister God said no no it's his wife and Amalek come to Abraham and says what in the world have you done you have loosed the hand of God against me because I've broken the moral compass of God in my life. And the thing of it is, when a moral compass is not there, the potential for every man and woman to be wronged by you or by me is guaranteed. I didn't know the fear of the Lord was here. I thought it was gone, and I knew that if it was gone, there was no hope for me to retain anything that is right in this nation. You will kill me. You will take my wife. You will then end up attacking my herds and my flocks. And you'll do it because you have no moral compass of God.
Abraham would have never done that. Could have get an amen. You're right. Hallelujah. The Bible says that the fear, the fear, the fear, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Anybody know what wisdom does? It'll deliver you from every snare that is in this earth. Every demonic entrapment that is in this earth, you will be preserved from. But if you lose your moral compass and start drawing the guidelines of your own right and your own wrongs, you are going to be snared like a foolish man. You will not be wise. Kind of quiet in here. And it says, I didn't mean for it to be quiet. I'm just telling you what God told me. I was praying, and I said, God, we're losing. I said, son, we're not losing. They've chosen. There will not be one person under the sound of my voice by any means that will go to hell because God wanted them there. But if you have a broken compass and you are following it, or if you let that magnetic draw, we could say the presence of the Lord to reshape your north, your south, your east, and your west, you're going to miss the goal that God has set for you in Christ. And it says it's the beginning of wisdom. And in the fear of the Lord, there is understanding of all that you need to know. And in this wisdom, they that do his commandments and walk in his direction will endure forever. See, when you start just placing the fear of God, that simply means that you become a keeper of commandments. I don't like anybody telling me what to be, what, what's going to happen to me. I've had people say that to me. You don't have a right to tell me how to live. I, said, I would have wanted to say in my mind I replayed it. Then go to hell. That's what I wanted to say, but I didn't. And I said, no, I don't have the right, but I do have a commission to watch for your soul. So it had nothing to do with rights. has everything to do with the commission. That whether we like it or not, we have to say it all. The good and what we would call the bad and the ugly. We have to talk about blessing, but we have to warn about cursing. Amen? And so, in this, there is an understanding why God wants us to stay away. Does anybody really understand? Why does God not want us to enjoy the pleasures of sin? Come on, man. We only go through this thing once in a lifetime. Come on. It's not like we get 15 of them like Hinduism. We don't get to be reincarnated like Buddhism. We only get one chance. 
Why not enjoy it all? Come on. It ain't like it's hurting God. You're right, it's not hurting God. But it's separating you from him. See, God is trying to keep you from the sting of sin. Not from its experience. Because the experience of sin has a guarantee of pleasure for a season. But God understands that beyond that season, there is an addiction that has taken place. There is a prison that has been built. There is a bondage that has been laid. There is a curse that has been released. And there is a hell that is now waiting. What kind of God would there be that knew the path to righteousness and wouldn't share it with his people? Sin is not a forbidding. Sin is a warning. When you are warned of God, do not sin. He's not trying to keep you from doing anything. He's trying to get you to experience life and blessing. Amen. Now, so we begin to see that a compass really is a direction of the course of God's action in everything that we go through. The moral compass of man is the fear. Somebody say the fear. fear. The fear of God. That word fear means that there is a reverence. You place him higher than your own opinions. It means that there is a respect that if God said it, you'll give him honor and respect because he's God. It means to make a moral assurance to another, a covenant as you would. It means to have a godly fear. It means to obey. Numbers 14, 1 through 11, Israel would not pay attention to Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb said this, Do not rebel against God. If the Lord is with us, we can do it. But what did they do? They rebelled against God. What did they do? They dishonored God. What did they do? Rebel means they blasphemed God. By their action, they said, you have no right to be involved in my life. Joshua cried out, said, don't rebel against God. And of course, they rebelled against God. The word prove means, or provoke means to blaspheme, to speak again. Then it says, let's not err against God. It simply means stop speaking and being stubborn. Then in verse 9 it says rebel. That means simply revolt, re, uh, start a revolt and overthrow his rule. Just by one act of saying, we're going to dishonor you. You're not worth listening to. That's what disobedience is. 
just a blasphemous statement you are not worth listening to. Then 1 Samuel 15, 22, we know this one. Does the Lord have as much delight in the burning offerings and of the sacrifices as he does in obedience to his voice, his word, and his commandments? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and even the fat of rams. For rebellion to anybody is as the sin of witchcraft. And the stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the Lord. That's what disobedience does. That's what rebellion does. It rejects God's rule. You're not worth hearing. Since you have rejected God, he rejects you from being king. He rejects you from being king. The strength to hear and to do is not given to those that fear man. It is given only to those that fear God. There's no sense in providing for you on a journey that you have decided not to use the compass to reach your destination. The doing of God's will is the fruit of a life deeply rooted in the fear of the Lord. Did you hear that? The doing of God's will and fulfilling his word is the result of a life deeply rooted in the fear of the Lord. Because if you have your roots deeply planted in the fear of the Lord, there is enough wisdom and understanding and obedience coupled with faith for you to live an abundant life. There must never be the fear of man or the fear of the end of your life because you won't lose anything if you fear God. It really doesn't matter about your will or my will, but when you have a compass of the fear of the Lord, you will fulfill not my will but thine be done to the fullest extent. Jesus didn't fear death. He just embraced the opportunity. The fruit of righteousness or the fruit of the Spirit and the growth and the quality of both. The growth and the quality of both. Let me say that again. The growth and the quality See, a lot of us can love and we can say, well, we're going to have a banquet. We invite everybody that can pay us back. That is love, but it's not the quality that God's looking for. 
You know what causes different qualities of fruit as well as quantity on a tree? Anybody know? Norman, you're, you raise apples. Doesn't it have to do with the life and the strength of the root? The root takes everything and shoots it up. And if you hurt that root, that fruit is deeply affected. And the quality of that fruit is deeply affected. So if the enemy can get to the fear of the Lord that should be the deep places of your life, if he can get to that, guess what? He can diminish fruit and he can taint its quality. In other words, you'll love those that love you. But you'll criticize everybody that you don't like. Hmm. Hallelujah. I'm glad we got the offering before we started this. Mark the 11th chapter, verse 12 through 21. I'm not going to read it because I'm going to wrap up. Says this. Jesus curses a fig tree. And after he curses a fig tree, he goes into the city and he makes a whip and he cleanses the temple. He cleanses the temple. Why has the temple been polluted? They've lost the fear of the Lord. Only reason anybody disobeys God is you don't fear your rebellion. Come on. You say, oh, man, Pastor, you're hard. Well, you should have been in the woodshed with me. You know, you get in the soft version. Some of you say, oh, you just speak. Oh, I don't know what else to do. It wouldn't matter if I sugared it up and fed it to you on frozen bananas. It still is what it is. Could I get an amen? So I don't know how to demonstrate it, illustrate it, present it, anything other than, look, this is the way that it is. The fear of the Lord. And so after Jesus comes, he comes out and Peter says, oh, look at the fig tree, it's all dried up. Why did Jesus curse the fig tree? Because there was no fruit on it anyway. Because the fear of the Lord had left Israel, therefore, there was no tabernacle for God to come. It had become a den of thieves, liars, and greedy businessmen. God would never have inhabited it. His son cleansed it. But, when Jesus curses the root, remember what the Bible said? It says, well, Jesus came to the fig tree, and guess what? There was no fruit on it because it wasn't the right season. Was Jesus unjust to kill something that had met its defining position? 
would have been an unjust judgment. To curse a fig tree that was supposed to have fruit on it, but it was a wrong season, would have had to expect something that was beyond creative power. You hear me? Now, why did Jesus curse it? Because when you live in the fruit or the compass based on the fear of the Lord, it doesn't matter what season you're in. You're going to produce fruit. Did you hear me? When you are attacked, you're still going to praise God. When you're attacked, you're still going to stay clean. When you're attacked, you're still going to not murmur. When you're attacked, you're still going to love. When you're under pressure, you're still going to blossom. Remember, Isaac is told by God, don't go to Egypt like your dad. Don't go down there. I want you to sow in this land. What type of man takes the seed that he has waiting for a famine to end and sow it in a land that has no rain coming and reaps a hundredfold? That is a man that fears God. And his compass of moral guidance is not found in reason or rationale. It is not found in conducive situations. It's not found in favorable situations. It is found in God. Amen. And we bear fruit. We are kind and love those that do not love us. Amen. We pray for those that despitefully use us. What is that? You do that because of the fear of the Lord. And you lay it down and you will become a respondent of evil for evil. Come on. The moral compass of every believer, the moral compass of America, has been eroded, set off course, because of a lack of the fear of God. How can Americans stand and say, Join us Sunday morning at the Atheist Church while we shake our hands at a non-existent God. How now has those that have decided to live by the fear of the Lord become the scourge of a nation born out of his presence and blessing? The thing about fearlessness or a broken compass is it spreads. It spreads like a poisonous cancer. It spreads by those that we run around with. It's spread by the televisions we watch, the programs we listen to, and all that we are involved in. We don't watch TV, we won't watch this, and we won't watch it. But we'll watch the hateful news. Forget about being fake news. Both channels are hateful. They're all deceptive trying to get you to like them. Stop listening to everything you hear. Get on your knees and start petitioning heaven 
and let God do a healing of land instead of you making a right choice. If God can't rule a land, it doesn't much matter who's right or who's wrong. It's going to end up the same way. God is looking for people that will bring their compass back into the shop and say, God, I don't know where I've been. I don't even know what happened. I don't even know how I got here. But God, I see things in my life that shouldn't be here. And God, it seemed like they'd just become a way of life to me. What am I going to do? How am I ever going to cleanse myself? The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is clean and faithful. The fear of the Lord will cleanse us if we will fear him. I mean, you're going to have to say, no, no, I, I'm not doing that anymore. No, I'm not letting that in our house anymore. No, that was, that was a wrong decision. I shouldn't have done it then, but I am going to stop it now. Kids, I love you, but you know what? Your phone, you're, you're, you're going to get on a limited timeshare. I'm going to give you an hour a day after that is 10 bucks an hour. You want to pay for your transgressions. Listen, we got kids that don't even talk to their families. We got kids that we want to do everything except spend time with. That is not the fear of the Lord. Yeah, yeah but my kid won't, won't like me. That's the fear of man. You do what's right. Your hearts, children's hearts will turn back to you. And your heart will turn to them. God does not fail us. Now I'm sure that I could have an altar call here, but we aren't going to have an altar call here. Because you know what? It's not a 30-second fix. Do you hear me? It's not a 30-second fix. It's you getting in a room until there is something that when you fall in that rock, God can pick up the pieces and remake you. But if you don't, one day the rock is going to fall. And there will be no recovery. He is a rock of mercy, but he's also a rock of judgment. God is good. But if you don't obey, it is bad. It can make you praise God in a valley. The valley shuts up over you because of your disobedience. There'll be no crying that will be heard from you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, do whatever you want to do. We won't bend and we won't bow. Let us burn. We won't bend. Daniel said, you need to quit praying. You need to do that. No, I couldn't do that. I fear the Lord. Daniel went to a lion's den. Where would we be if we lived beside Daniel's room or walked behind the Hebrew children? Would we be in the furnace? Would we be in the lion's den? That's where we have to get along with God and say, God, just help me. God, help me. Put the fear of God in me.
Hallelujah. Let's stand to our feet. Father, God, help our compasses get reset. Let our ships turn their bows in the right direction. God, let us trust in you enough that when we can't see any other outcome, that God will still pick up the ladings, God, and let you bring us to a place that we can begin again. God, help us. Help us instill in us the fear of the Lord. You said, God, that you would take out a stony heart. You said, God, that you would put in us a new heart. God, a heart that can be touched and molded. A heart that can tremble. A heart, God, that can surrender. A heart, God, that can say, not my will, but thine be done, God. You said, God, you put that in us when we got saved. David cried out and said, oh, God, revive me according to thy word. God, breathe on us today. As we meet with you, breathe on us. Breathe on us, God, breathe on us. Fix our compasses, God. Fix our needles. Set our north, south, east, and west. Set them, God, that they cannot be altered. Set them sure, God. And God, we ask these things. God, in the matchless name that you've given us, Jesus. 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 Now, God, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, go with us, God. We go to meet you. In Jesus' name, amen.